Well, good morning. It is certainly the Christmas season, which is exciting, and we're going to begin our Christmas series called Hark the Herald Angels Sing. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38 this morning. So if you want to go ahead and begin turning there. It is easy to see that Christmas is upon us as we have a lighted Rudolph oil derrick in town and we've had parades and Christmas lights are popping up over neighborhoods all over town and the sales. I mean, Hobby Lobby started two or three months ago, but now everybody else has all of their Christmas decor out. The Christmas music is pumping through uh, radio and MP3s and everything else. And it is a reminder that Christmas is upon us. And yet in the middle of all of the celebration of Christmas, again, as you can turn on the television and begin to find Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Elf and all of your other favorite classics, let me just stand and remind us to hark and be reminded of the real reason that we are celebrating Christmas. There are many fun things about the Christmas season, but it is easy sometimes to forget why we celebrate. And this, this word, hark, to be honest, I thought it meant look, like, hey, look over here. But the word hark actually means to pay close attention or to listen up. And so when we sing, hark, the herald angels sing, it is pay attention, listen up to what the angel is proclaiming or what the angels are proclaiming. And in this series, we're going to be looking at divine intervention of moments when angels came and spoke to those involved in this Christmas story. And so with that, let us look at Luke chapter 1, verse 26 and following. It says this, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, 
I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The purpose of this series, if I could, would be this. To remind us why Jesus is celebrated at Christmas. So that you and I can tell others and that we may worship him at our home. During this season, that would be a huge win if we were reminded why we're celebrating so that we could tell others and that we would celebrate and worship him in our homes. And so with that, as we look at this visit from Gabriel to Mary, I'm going to ask that we would pay attention or hark to these four truths. Number one, hark the herald's declaration. Pay close attention to the declaration of this angel. A little bit of the context of this passage that we just read is this. It has been about 400 years since the last Old Testament prophet had a divine revelation from God. About 400 years. And in that, an angel comes, actually just in front of the text that we just read. And he comes to a priest. And he comes to this priest and says, even though you and your wife are barren and of old age, you are going to have a child. This is the first divine revelation in 400 years. And it is a birth narrative. Barrenness is going to be overcome and you are going to have a child. This priest did not fully comprehend and maybe didn't even fully believe. And so therefore he was stricken with not being able to speak until this child would be born. And so he comes out of the temple responsibilities. They recognize because he cannot speak he's had a revelation. His wife Elizabeth is with child and for five months the scripture tells us that she's sort of hiding out. And then when we come to our passage, it says that in the sixth month, that's not the sixth month of the year, it's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. And so for the second time in 400 years, just a few months apart, six months apart, an angel comes to another young woman, to Mary. And he comes to her and says, you are going to have a child. This declaration. Now, what I want to mention to you right here at the beginning, this truth, harking the herald's declaration, this is the truth as we unpack this. The nature of Jesus' birth declares his supreme place in God's redemption story. The nature of his birth declares his supreme place in God's redemption story. As we think about celebrating Christmas and being reminded of why we celebrate Part of what we celebrate is the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, the coming one, and his birth gives an indication of how important he is. See, these two passages, um, John the Baptist is the, for the child of barrenness for the priest and Elizabeth, and then Jesus to Mary and to Joseph. These are tied together narratives. It is as if to say this, sort of like last week, one is miraculous, barrenness in old age, sort of bringing us back to 
Old Testament um, birth narratives like Abraham and Sarah, older in age, barren, a promised child. God delivers, and that child is one of the leaders. Samson is a birth narrative in this way. Hannah with Samuel is a birth narrative, and there's some precedence. And so you come, and so as we hear this story, God bringing a child to someone who is barren and up in age is not that crazy because we've heard and seen him do this many times. And that those children have been important people in God's redemptive story. But the second story, we know it's different from the very beginning because they're, it's not describing the visitor, Mary, as being up in age. It's, she's a virgin. She's a young woman. She's engaged. She's called virgin multiple times in this passage so that we don't miss the fact that this is about to be an elevated miracle. Something that has not happened before is about to take place. In our modern day of especially social media, we have a tendency um, to want to one-up one another. Uh, you see one person do something, oh, I'll, I will up that. And, and you even see that with uh, gender reveals, don't you? Um, and I, I just for fun looked up um, gender reveal failures. And you can have uh, just a great time looking at those if you want. I mean, it's everything from um, a mom and a dad, and they're going to release balloons, and it's all pink balloons, and the dad is just visibly devastated. And now that's captured and was live streamed to all their family, and that poor kid, that poor daughter is going to realize he did not want me to be a girl. Um, that's no good. And then to up that, you have uh, this couple in Brazil that they wanted to do something special for a gender reveal, and so they were in front of a waterfall, uh, and they had friends throw the color of the gender blue in paint into this waterfall and cause an ecological crisis at the point of that water spot. And then uh, here in the United States, in Arizona, you had some folks that wanted to do something real special with tannerite, and they were going to... Um, shoot this tannerite, make a big explosion. It was going to make a big puff of the gender. And they shot it, and it exploded, and it burned 45,000 acres and caused $8 million in damage. And so when that child is looking for college tuition, it's not going to be there. <laughs> right? We have, the, we have this sense that we want to one-up one another in birth. And gender reveals, but yet Jesus tops them all. For an angel comes. An angel comes and says, behold, favored one. You are going to conceive a child, the son of God. You will name him Jesus. God or Yahweh saves. Here, pay close attention to why we celebrate Christmas. As much as we love the packages and the gifts and the family celebrations, it is because a birth was announced that is supreme to God's redemptive plan. 
The second thing that we notice is not just this simple declaration of a birth, of a unique birth, of a miraculous birth, but secondly, hark or pay close attention to the herald's messianic description. Pay attention to the messianic description. Look in verse 32 and 33. The angel's describing this child. He says, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. This is a description of a Messiah, of a Savior, of the Savior of the world. Again, these two narratives are sort of uh, put together, John the Baptist and of Jesus. And Again, here's just a quick rundown. John the Baptist is described as being great in the sight of the Lord. Jesus is described as he will be great, unqualified. No qualifiers, just great, greater than any other who has come before. John the Baptist is going to be described as a prophet of the Most High. Jesus is described as son of the Most High. There's a miracle of barrenness and there's a miracle of the virgin birth. John the Baptist is preparing Away for the coming one, Jesus is the coming one. John the Baptist, after being conceived, the scripture says he was filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. Jesus is conceived by the Holy Spirit. And in this five-fold description, this five-fold declaration, we learn a couple of things. Number one, Jesus will be great. you got to understand, for Mary, this is, this is wild stuff. She is, for all intents and purposes, a nobody. She, she is no one of any esteem or reputation. At the very beginning, it says in the sixth month, um, the angel came and he comes to a town called Nazareth in Galilee. I mean, Nazareth is a nothing town. Scholars say to even call it a village or a town is generous. It might have had 500 people in it. No major roads went through it. It, it would be about 75 or 100 miles north of Jerusalem. In the previous story, the angel came to a high priest in the temple and now he is coming to Nowhereville, Israel, to a young girl who's married or is, who is engaged to be married, a nobody. And he says, you are going to have a son who is going to be great. Every, every parent believes their child will be great. But when the angel says, no, this child supersedes all. It's no wonder she is taken aback by this entire encounter. Jesus is great. Secondly, he's described as being the son of the most high. That you might as well just call that he is the son of God, son of the most high. This is the descriptor. The angel says, you, Mary, 
are going to be taking care of the Son of God. Can you imagine the weight of what that would have felt like? I mean, I understand that there's this real thing out there called mom guilt. Whether it's earned or not earned, just wondering, have I done enough? Did I do enough? Have I... Can you imagine being told you are the mom of the Son of God and yet there's the responsibility in front of you? This is an amazing moment. Why we celebrate Christmas is that God came to dwell among us. God sent his Son so he will be great. He will be the Son of the Most High. He will Reign on the throne of David. In the Old Testament, what they're looking for, the promises of the, the Messiah, sort of the markers, one of those signs is that they would be from the line of David. In Samuel, it is stated to David a promise that David would always have an heir on the throne. And what makes it unique is that in the course from that promise to the moment that Mary is given this promise is that the the royalty, the kingdom of Israel is no more. Because of their rebellion, they have been brought into submission under other authorities. And there is no active king on an earthly throne. And so many wondered, what does this promise of God mean that there would always be one on the throne? And the angel says, this son that you're having, Mary... He's the rightful heir to the throne. Jesus, this baby, not only the Son of God, but he is the king promised through the line of David. Next, it says that he will reign over the house of Jacob. Jacob is um, the same name as Israel, so he is going to reign over the house of Israel. Jacob, if you recall, um, in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, uh, blessings are being given out over the 12 sons. And because of various things that have happened in the book of Genesis, um, it gets down to the son Judah, where the promise that the scepter will never leave the house of Judah. The scepter meaning the kingship will run through Judah and reign over all the other brothers, over the house of Jacob. And the angel is saying, Mary... The son that you're having here in little old Nazareth will rule all of your kin. Not just your family, not just Galilee, but for all. All of Israel, the 12 tribes will be reunited under the rulership of your son. And then lastly, it says that he will have a kingdom that will have no end. Oh, hallelujah. We celebrate Christmas because Jesus has come and his, his kingdom has no end. He is reigning. He will continue to be reigning. There is no one who will supplant him from his throne. Jesus is reigning the divine Messiah 
and Savior, and he is promised and proclaimed and described to this young girl in Nazareth. Pay close attention this Christmas season to the description of who we worship. Number three, hark the herald's answer to the virgin's question. Pay close attention to the answer to the virgin's question. Look in verse 34. After this huge description that she no doubt is overwhelmed by, Mary says to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Basically, Mary is saying, I, I, I accept what you are saying. I have one question. How? Um, Mary, you know, was not in elementary school or middle school or high school, but she knew enough anatomy and physiology to say, I'm not, I, I don't understand how this is to happen. See, there's a lot of things going in her mind, the least of which was that she would be a virgin conceiving by the Holy Spirit. That was not even on the radar. She's thinking, okay, I am engaged to someone. And, and for this time frame, to be engaged is like marriage in the sense that the only way out is a writ of divorce. We'll actually look at that from the other side, from Joseph's perspective next week. But she's thinking to herself, okay, God, if this is what you have, is Joseph going to be the father of this promised child? Or what does this mean for me? Like, is there someone else? Or I mean, you got to imagine she's just thinking, I only know how babies come about, and I just need to know how you need me to proceed. Now listen to this response in verse 35. And the angel answered her. She was not expecting this. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. There's no way she had that on her bingo card. How, how is this supposed to happen? Well, the Holy Spirit is going to conceive in your womb while you remain a virgin. Oh. See, the imagery here, though, is sort of bringing us back to um, some imagery in the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 40, around verse 34, they have set up the tabernacle, the traveling tent of the Lord. And the Lord is said to have come, and you could use a very similar word, and overshadowed or enveloped the tent. And in that enveloping of the tent, in this cloud, it was God's way of, in space and time, implanting his presence among the people. So that as the tabernacle moved, God's presence was with them. And so we don't know any more than what the angel said, and we don't know when this took place, and we don't know how it took place, if she just woke up one day and was pregnant. But all we know is that God overshadowed and enveloped her, and in space and time chose to put himself into human history by conceiving in her 
womb, though she had never been with a man. And I pause on this for just a second because this is a critical thing for us to understand what is often referred to as either the virgin birth, but more accurately, the virgin conception. This is an important piece of theology, not to be overlooked. It's important because this is how we gain our mystery of the understanding that God is fully human. Jesus is fully human and yet fully God. And because that is true, it makes him the only one uniquely qualified to die for our sin and also pay for our sin. And so when we come to Christmas, yes, it is the miracle of a baby in swaddling clothes, but it is fully God. The Holy Spirit envelops Mary, places places Christ within her, and a miracle in God's redemption story. God's grace to us. It's not us acting towards him. It is him once again acting in grace towards us. And to be fair, you may be watching online or in this room, and the idea of the virgin conception just feels too far to believe. But can I just say this? Can you believe in the resurrection of the dead? Can, can you believe in the barren miracle of the priest and Elizabeth for John the Baptist? Can you believe in a salvation that takes us and awakens us from death to life in Christ? You either believe that God works in the supernatural or you don't. But to pull away from this point is to begin to chip away at the miracle of Christmas that we celebrate today. The truth here, the virgin conception brings God's presence through the incarnation. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that next week from Joseph's perspective. For in Luke, we get the divine messianic this is God, the Son of the Most High, the ruler of David. His kingdom will have no end. The fully God emphasis. And next week through Joseph in a dream with an angel, we'll see more about God's humanity in Christ as we think about this from the other perspective. But for today, we celebrate and pay close attention that God has done a miracle and because of the way that God did this, the angel says, he will be called holy. Christ is holy. In the way that this is put together, in the way that God has designed it, Jesus does not carry forward sin in himself. He is holy. We're the rest of us born by natural birth. Wrestle with. And are marred by original sin. And yet, because of the virgin conception, he is called holy. Oh, that we could explain this to others and worship him as holy in our homes.
The fourth, the fourth thing is hark or pay attention to the humble submission. The humble submission. In verse 38, And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So this angel comes. He makes an incredible announcement. Oh, favored one. And she's, I'm the least favored of all. Nobody even knows who I am. You're going to have a great child, the son of God, king of David, never-ending throne, rule over all of Israel. Okay, how is this going to happen? No biggie. Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. It's going to be a holy uh, child within you while you're still a virgin. And then, then he says, basically, she didn't even ask for it, but he says, and just so you can have confidence that what I'm telling you is true, your cousin, Elizabeth, is six months pregnant. Nothing will be impossible with God. And that statement, even in itself, nothing will be impossible with God, echoes from the book of Genesis when the angel tells Abraham and Sarah about their own child of promise. Nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary, without even needing it, was given this sort of proof. And we know from the next, cha- from the next few verses, she makes her way to go visit Elizabeth. And once Elizabeth sees Mary, the Holy Spirit inside John the Baptist in the womb leaps, and the Holy Spirit then speaks through Elizabeth to say, oh, oh, you are also pregnant with a promised one. And from that moment, you got to believe Mary's thinking, okay, this is it. This, everything that was told to me. It's true, but even before the proof, there was this moment of faith in verse 38. I'm your servant. What you've said, let it be done. Oh, that we would have that posture this Christmas season. God, whatever part of the story you need me to play for your redemption story in our world, I'm your servant, and let it be. May may I just yield to you, O God. I mean, think about this for a moment. Mary has heard this. She understands now. I mean, she doesn't understand, like, probably what is about to happen in terms of the Holy Spirit impregnating and conceiving in her. But she does understand the fallout which is, I'm married, I'm engaged to be married, excuse me, and I'm about to be pregnant. And I don't know how I'm going to explain this to Joseph. I don't know how I'm going to explain it to the other 500 people in my town. If you've ever been in a super small town, word travels fast, and the worse the news, the faster it travels. And she's thinking to herself, "I, I don't know what may happen to me. For for her to become pregnant while engaged, again, it is as if she is married, which means that everyone else is not going to buy the story, well, God did this. Everyone else is going to say adulterer. 
either adulterer or you and Joseph were not chaste before the wedding ceremony. Either way, the shame would largely, rightly or wrongly, mostly wrongly, is going to fall on Mary and her reputation. And yet she says, I'm your servant. Whatever may come, um, let it happen. Let it happen. The, the truth here is this. Mary humbly yields her life to the Lord and trusts him with the consequence of her obedience. She says, I recognize my obedience may cost me, but God, I'm going to trust you with that in the same way that I'm trusting that what you're telling me about this son is true. And as we gather for celebration both on Sundays this month and in our homes and as we think about Christmas, may we pay close attention to who Jesus is. He is the Messiah, the Son of God. And just like Mary, we too, I yield, I'm your servant, and I worship you. And I trust you with the consequence of this obedience. I'm going to invite Stacy and anyone else who's coming to help lead us in a final song this morning. As I think about this passage, it's just so amazing to me how God, after 400 years of silence, broke forth with incredible news, not just for Mary, but for every one of us. For because Jesus is the Messiah, he lived a perfect, holy life, just as Gabriel said. He's on an unending throne, just like Gabriel said. And if you and I repent of our sin and trust him for salvation, the scripture tells us that Jesus is faithful to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And then if we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, if we'll confess with our mouth that he is Lord, we will be saved. And I pray that that's your Christmas story that you can celebrate this year. But if it is not, in just a few moments we're going to be singing and giving thanks to the Lord for who he is. And if you've never accepted his gift of salvation... I'll be up here. You can come talk to me before or after. You can go to our Next Step desk. If you came here with a believer, they know everything it means to come into faith with Christ. Talk to them over lunch. But today, don't delay. The gift is too good. The noise is too loud. Hark. Pay close attention to what the Lord would have for you today. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for making it so clear through the preservation of your word that Jesus is the Messiah, fully God, holy, and yet fully man. Lord, may we reflect a worship this Christmas season that is worthy of the gift you have given us. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.